The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, joined now, as we are occasionally, and I look forward to it every time, by Jerry Sullivan of WIVB.com and the Niagara Gazette. Jerry, uh, thank you. Why do you why are you laughing? I don't know. You just make me laugh. Um, you know, I'm 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 an open book. I I'm, I put it all out there. I was just watching This Is Us. I'm a big fan. I don't know if people know. Oh, that. I hate that I mean, show. I suppose yeah, there are people. It doesn't surprise me, you know, because it it plays with your emotions. I think of it as a guy show, a dad show. But uh, anyway, so I was just I guess I'm a little emotional, and I have my Pistons hat on. Is that it goes this? back and forth from the past to the present to the future so much. I can't follow it. Does, it does. Uh, you know, I mean, you're too busy with your fantasy basketball lineup. Very controversial figure, Mr. Perfect. I don't know if you yeah. knew that, Tim, Tim, about, I mean, he's very controversial running this league. He even named his team ruler of the rule book. And, make make the, the, and he, made a, he made a deal recently that, you know, Bowie Kuhn, you remember Bowie when he ran the man baseball, uh, he would have rejected this deal, but it, it got, I proved it because what the heck. Looking, looking pretty fair now with uh, Anthony Davis hurt. Yeah, what a shock that he would get hurt. Back. What, what, what was what the trade? <laughs> I don't know. Three of the biggest names in the, in the league for uh, Kyrie Irving. Now you tell him what the deal was. I, I traded away Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard in a keeper league. And right. I'm being considered like I'm ruining the league and stealing players. And... But what'd you get in return? Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Town and Tobias Harris. Pretty good, pretty good return. You got to yeah. understand the keeper salaries and the structure and the team that I traded with isn't making the playoffs. But Jerry's not happy. Other people aren't happy. I didn't I'm less popular happy. of a commissioner than uh, Rob Manfred right now. It'll be more more of an enjoyment when I beat you in the playoffs. Do you see what happened to me though? Nurchik is out for a month with fasciitis of his foot. I, I hate fantasy sports really because of injuries especially this league I guess guys between COVID and injuries guys have been hurt all year so the Pistons hat 1988 I just loved this team you know it was the Isaiah team that hadn't broken through and they had uh Elaine Bear um, Sally and Rodman on the bench I loved Sally I worked in New York and he was from Brooklyn anyway I picked them to win the finals in six in a in Newsday which was you know nationally syndicated at the time and I was a minute and a half from being right in game six. And then uh, the Lakers won. So, but I've always loved, I always loved that Pistons team. Nowadays, as we know, John Beeline is, uh, is a consultant. And uh, what do you call him there? 
development coach. Player not development. Going, not going real well there in Detroit right now. Yeah, they're well, developing young players. Yeah, they're very young. Well. Very young. Well, let's Isaiah get back Stork into your Rochester. time covering those uh, Pistons, Jerry. Uh, they were known as one of the biggest groups of assholes in, in sports history. Uh, what was it about them that was charming to you? They were just great personalities. And, uh, you know, I didn't cover them as a beat. I covered on a, on a national scale. I, I went to the playoffs and they were just, they were a great construct of pretty singularly interesting players. You know, Dumars, Vinnie Johnson, the microwave, James Edwards. They, they were, their GM, Jack McCloskey, was one of the most underrated uh, personnel guys in the history of the league. We know about Auerbach. We know about Jerry West. He did a heck of a job. And yeah, they were tough. I mean, Lane Beer would look at me sometimes and want to kill me, you know, because I dared go in and try to interview him an hour before a game. You know, Isaiah had his problems calling Larry Bird overrated. Rodman was crazy. You know, Rodman showed up with one of the other guys at the media hotel during the finals before a game, a night before a game to play Papa shot with the media. Now, how could you not love those guys? Um, was it, I don't know if Chuck Nevitt was on their bench or was on the Lakers, but he was like seven foot four, never played. He came and drank with us one night. So it was a different era. They were great, a great team. And they were on the cusp, kind of like the Bills, if you want to make a parallel team that really is trying to break through with all this talent. And they finally did. Uh, you know, Jordan couldn't, I mean, Jordan couldn't beat them later, but there was a time when they were trying to come through and couldn't beat the Lakers and the Celtics. What was it that lured you to come to Buffalo at that time? Because it sounds like you had a pretty good beat, at least, and situation covering the NBA. That's a great question. I wanted to be a columnist. I didn't love New York. I felt like a kind of a, a drift, although I did cover the NBA. I mean, I was the NBA writer. Verducci was the baseball writer. Peter King was the football writer for the, the big leagues. And so, you know, I could have gone somewhere, I, I imagine. I wanted to be a columnist in Buffalo, New York. My now ex-wife was from Rochester, and I really didn't want to be in the big city. I, Buff, Buffalo, to me, seemed the perfect size town to do what I wanted to do, which was to be a columnist. And I, I never looked back, although, well, no, I, of course I looked back. Um, I loved covering the NBA, but I didn't want to be one of these. I didn't want to live in New York. I was terrified about trying to buy a house, and I didn't want to be attached to one sport all the time. That's why I don't miss covering the Bills. I mean, I, I despise writing about nothing else for a six-month period, especially that league. Six months? It's 11 months now. Well, yeah, really. You know, I mean, if you're covering the beat, it never ends. You know, Joe Buscal, you're writing about, you know, didn't doing a great job, but it's like it seems like he, he never has, gets a chance to stop. And I, I've always hated that. I mean, I'm, I remember once – I'm just rambling here because this is what we do. Um, I was on the radio with Art Wander. <laughs> There's a name years ago. And I started ranting how much I hate talking about the bills in May because I wanted to talk about the NBA. And I set myself up. I said, next person that calls to talk about mini camp, camp I'm out of here. So the next call was about mini camp. <laughs> I got out of my chair and I walked out of the studio and went home and it was art loved it because it was, of course it was great radio. I mean, Thurman Thomas used to just show up off the street to go in on Art Wander's show. That was the, the kind of show that was. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what am I talking about here? <laughs> well, you're what talking about how you, you hate being pigeonholed or uh, in a rut. And uh, I get that. And it's, 
you know, Jonah's right. It, it is a year round beast. And it's not just Joe Biscaglia. I'm not a Bills writer. I'm, I'm just a columnist slash senior writer. My title kind of drifts back and forth depending on who, what HR person sends me the email. But um, I can technically write about whatever I want, but the Bills drive it. And so my editors expect me to write about the Bills. I, I, don't, uh, I had a chance to cover the Sabres last week, but I'm back on football type stuff. Uh, and going to the combine next week. And right after that, it's going to be free agency. And right after that, it's going to be the draft. And right after that, it's going to be mini camp. The NFL has been brilliant in setting itself up as a, essentially a year round business in terms of coverage and exposure and, and uh, all the attention it gets really the only time you have is from mid June to the end of July. Uh, and that's when mini camps break. And that's when all the NFL people go on their vacations. They've set it up for them. And so we really have nothing to talk about for a month because they're all off the grid and the players are all off the grid. And so other than that, we are constantly covering events and things, news, you know, the schedule release, you know, even when I was at ESPN, it was considered a niche thing. And, and because we were considered to, uh, we were uh, we were expected to constantly write. We would really focus a lot of energy on the NFL schedule release. The NFL didn't. We just waited for the the press release to come out. Now it's its own television show uh, that they're releasing the schedule. We already know who the Bills' opponents are going to be for their 17 games next season. We we also know where they're going to be played, home or away. We just don't know. We just don't know the dates and whether or not it's a night game or a Thursday or a Saturday. Uh, and of course the, the order, but geez, uh, it's, it's almost as though we're, uh, we're watching, uh, you know, the Super Bowl itself. It's a, so, I get it. It is a beast. It is a beast. And it's disgusting to me at times. So let's talk know. about basketball, Jerry. Let's keep talking about it. Um, actually, you I just want to ask you one more, one more Pistons question. Done? Let's just one more quick Pistons question okay, before okay. we go on, because he's obviously such a, um, and I know you know this word, you've, you think this word is overused, but I think it, it applies, or at least a version of one of these words. Don't, you don't say like iconic. Icon. He's not iconic, but he's an iconoclast. Dennis oh, Rodman. That's better. I think Dennis Rodman is, and, but at that time, Dennis Rodman wasn't really Dennis Rodman yet. What, what do you remember of Dennis Rodman at that time, as he's still not quite a star, and really he's unless you really follow the NBA, you probably have no idea who Dennis Rodman is. Oh yeah. I don't, it's a sort of a game changing uh, player. And I, but I don't know if there've been play many or, or any players like him, but he definitely changed things. He was a cult, a six, eight uh, guy who ran the floor, ran all day and could guard anybody who, who contributed to Larry Bird's decline. Whenever I think that, as much as I love Larry Bird and his skills and his vision and all the brilliant things about him, when Dennis Rodman showed up, he was a lesser playoff player and the numbers would show it because Rodman terrorized him defensively. And he was one of the, as great a rebounder as there ever was. Uh, but yeah, he was some guy out of some small school, Southeast or Northwest Oklahoma who shows up on the bench with John Sally and, and they have one of the great benches ever and he's kind of crazy, but he wasn't really, he started to be Rodman at the end of the, 
87 playoffs, you know, the famous pass that Bird stole by Isaiah. And Isaiah was just humiliated. But it was Rodman who said, basically, that Bird's overrated just because he's white. Now, were there people who loved Larry Bird because he was white and wanted a white hero? Absolutely. Um, were there black people who hated him because of that? Or the late Alan Wilson used to tell me how they didn't want to love Bird, the black community, but eventually they came around to how great he was. But Rodman said something in the heat of the moment after a terrible playoff loss by the Pistons. Then they go to Rodman in the day where, you know, the reporters just got all kind of interviews and access. And Isaiah, in his own little way, he was such a snide, manipulative little guy, said, uh, well, you know. Smarmy. Yeah, smarmy. Great player. But he said, I don't know the exact words, but Larry Bird, if he was black, would be just another good guy. Now, he didn't believe that, but he was, he was angry too. And it was a bad moment. And so Rodman created all that. So that was the first sign that uh, this guy's a little out there. Then soon after he starts, you know, doing his thing, dressing like a woman, painting his hair and all that stuff that was, and he was like really kind of ahead of his time. Wasn't he? A lot of the stuff he did that nowadays would still be seen as wild, but he, we're talking about late eighties, early nineties. And the fact that he was such a amazing player allowed him to, to get away with a lot of it. He ends up with the Bulls winning, winning titles with, with Michael Jordan and disappearing and going gambling and stuff. I mean, I, I think Rodman's one of the great – someone should write that book if it hasn't been written. Oh, a few of them have been written, actually. Yeah. Um, you, you might have written one. I wrote a column. I wrote a, well, it wasn't a column. It was a story. And I hated the assignment because I thought it was too voyeuristic and sensationalized. But my managing editor at the time when I was with the Las Vegas Sun, uh, it was one of those gambling excursions that Phil Jackson allowed him to go on in the NBA final against the Jazz. Uh, He allowed Rodman to leave the team and go to Vegas. And it was talked about and it was an excused absence. And my mission that night Uh, along with a photographer who actually was able to help me because Las Vegas is a pretty big town. We had to find the guy first was to tail Dennis Rodman for the night. Um, And you're in casinos, which are wide open and very public. I mean, they're private. Technically I could have gotten kicked out at any time, but you know, they, they're off for the publicity too. But my job was to follow Dennis Rodman and the evening started at, let's say 8 PM. Uh, We were an afternoon newspaper, which allowed me to go until about 4 AM uh, until I had to finally break it off at the Las Vegas Hilton where he was shooting craps. We'd are, this was probably our fifth casino that we've gone to. Um, I know he has to recognize me as somebody who's been or hanging around all night, but he didn't care. Um, he'd gotten 86, uh, his crew and, and he had gotten 86 from, uh, the Rio. Um, but anyway, he ends up at, uh, the Hilton and shooting dice and he threw it up. He threw the dice so high up in the air. It was almost, and I meant made it for, it was like a free throw and they always landed on. And I kept thinking one of these times, these things are going to miss the table, but he just kept throwing. He had a, a, a smoldering cigar hanging out of the corner of his mouth and one eye shut. And the people in his entourage were slumped at the, at the slot machines that were by this, by this uh, table, and he showed no signs of stopping anytime soon. And that's when I had to say, I'm out. I got to go write this column. And it turned out to be the, one of the most read things I'd ever written because it was syndicated. Uh, we at the Las Vegas Sun were part of the Scripps 
uh, McClatchy and the, and the Scripps Howard uh, wires. And it went around the country. And of course, you know, because it was during the finals, of course, and I was given this glimpse of, of Robin, but it was, it was, it was crazy. He didn't do anything scandalous. I don't, I don't even think he drank that night, but all the people with him and just the scene and he didn't give a fuck. Oh, he, his hand was all messed up too. That was the finals where he had, he was playing with a broken hand or a, a sprained wrist or something. So he's got the, he's given this woman who's barely dressed a piggyback ride through the Rio and he, he was just having a hell of a time. And, uh, and his teammates are probably, you know, trying to get their sleep for the next night to, so they can knock out Carl Malone and John Stockton. Speaking of gambling in Vegas and got to get Jonah involved here. I, I imagine if you read me, my Twitter, I've been on a real rant and, and, you know, genuinely chagrined, outraged about what's going on with sports gambling. And now that it's become legalized, I knew it was coming, but the way they're shoving it down people's throat and buying off sports leagues and buying off media, including, I don't know, you can't read a high school story in the Buffalo News website now without seeing that it's sponsored by DraftKings. I just want your reaction to it. It's just something, you know, benign that we should, I shouldn't be so concerned about. I don't think it's benign at all. I think it's, it's obnoxious. And it's the same as when these commercials first started airing on television. And I wrote a, a story about it. I don't know what it was, five or six years ago for the Buffalo News, although it was it was very hypocritical at the time, because this was when the NFL, well, all the leagues, really, and television and the media was taking what was daily fantasy money. And they had put up these false constructs about how, how daily fantasy sports wasn't gambling. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's all they were, all they are, are exotic parlays, daily fantasy sports or exotic parlays. There's no limit as to how many you can do, how many bets you can place. It's not the same as getting into your one fantasy league in which you all put money in ahead of time at your, at your draft in, in August. And then at the end of the year, there's one payout. No, this is playing a fantasy league an infinite amount of times every day in any sport you want. It was, it was high stakes and, and with no limits on the bets, it was high stakes, high pressure, um, gambling and breakneck gambling, all masked as fantasy sports. And I knew it was coming. Um, you know, Jonah has seen me do it. I've been involved. I do the mobile gambling. I will say that I've gotten bored with it which I think is probably the healthy natural reaction to have. If you're interested in it, I have cashed out. Um, but Jonah and I go have a few beers and whatever's on TV, I was betting on it and not any great degree, 10 bucks, 25 bucks. You know, I'm not betting anything that that's going to get me in trouble. Um, but the Super Bowl, I found myself not really caring about my bets. And so I'm maybe a week after the Super Bowl, I bet on a couple of basketball games and I was like, I don't care anymore. I think I got it out of my system, much like after I, when I moved to Las Vegas in 1995. Uh, and, you know, you get kicked in the nuts enough times and you realize it's not pleasurable. And uh, so I stopped going to the strip and and, you know, playing blackjack and video poker and all those things. But to see it seep into media and especially with with amateur sports, I, I think I'd be interested to see what the demographics are for readership of high school sports. And the target, you know, that's probably, you know, I'm not, it's not to say um, more kids are reading high school stories than Bill's stories or Saber stories, 
but I'm guessing that the percentage of total audience for those stories is much higher children because they're reading about their classmates, their school, um, themselves, the teams that they're on. And just like drinking and other things, it starts very young, cigarette smoking. The, the people who sell the stuff, they know. They have experts telling them who their target audience is. They're targeting young people to be, to be gamblers. And it's, it's, it's sickening. I, too bad they can't sponsor, right, Jonah, an actual scoreboard page where you could actually, in the Buffalo News, see the results of the high school sectionals. They don't even have the scores, but they can be sponsoring high school stories with, uh, with gambling sites. I don't know. I'm going to get Jonah on this because I know a lot of young, I don't know what your take is, Jonah. I know a lot of young guys gamble and don't think it's, there's anything wrong with it. You know, I don't gamble much. I have in the past and I kind of understand the appeal of it. I'm not outraged that gambling's legal or that it's acknowledged that a lot of fandom and interest in sports is driven by gambling and that having a little action on the game can make, a game more fun to watch, especially if you don't have a rooting interest already. But I do think the, uh, Tim used a good word, obnoxious, the pervasiveness of gambling and these advertisements for gambling and the acceptance of sports gambling in media and social media and things like that right now, I think is over the top. And this idea that it's, you know, covering sports gambling is the future of sports journalism and that everybody needs to have picks and everybody needs to talk about their parlays and their prop bets and that this is how sports should be covered and consumed, I think has gone way too far. But I understand, I mean, all of these media companies are driven by advertising revenue. And if these companies are willing to buy ads, I I don't blame them for not taking the money. And yes, I do think it's unfortunate that we don't see as much local coverage and local scores in the paper and things like that but companies would have to come out and sponsor that. You can't really sell a sponsorship that doesn't have the company on the other end that wants to pay for that sponsorship. And to Tim's point, I think, yeah, you probably do see high school coverage and local coverage being read a little bit more by the high school athletes and the classmates and things like that. But I find that a lot of young sports fans and young aspiring sports journalists They don't, if you teach somebody who comes into like a freshman college class, they're not very interested in covering their own college or their high school beats. They want to be NBA and NFL writers at a young age, and they want to be gambling analysts. They want to emulate what they hear on a Bill Simmons podcast or what they see being talked about and reported on TV. You kind of have to force them into covering local sports to learn how to be journalists you don't really see that coming natural some some have a good sense of that but you don't really see that a lot of you know you talk to a young high school student that wants to be a sports writer and they tell you how they want to cover the NFL but they don't really talk much about doing any of the local sports that would be easier for them to get started with and also necessary for them to get started with Right. And a great way to, to learn how to be a journalist you know this is a one little- quibble I'll have Jerry though with a- I agree with your general sentiment about why you'd love to see DraftKings sponsor high school scoreboard page or something like that to at least make it to expand coverage. The one thing that I would say is that would all, that would also backfire because it would be tantamount to the cigarette companies using Joe Camel to appeal to kids. If you had DraftKings 
not only just automatically on all your coverage, but only on specific or on making a high school sponsorship, then you're going to have people saying, well, that's DraftKings just trying to appeal to kids right yeah, out of the I game. I really wasn't advocating that. Right. I know. But I just, you know, for because I know people will people people will make that point as they listen. So I might as well just bring it out. My, my, it was just, mine was just a general. Dis- or to use the money that DraftKings is giving you. And you don't have to announce it as a DraftKings scoreboard page, I guess. Just yeah, use that money. I think another thing that needs to, sorry to cut you off, that okay. needs to be acknowledged a little bit more is not just, I, I do think gambling is now part of, it's now legal and it's part of how sports is consumed and it shouldn't be ignored. But there should be a little bit more balanced coverage and approach to how it's not necessarily a good thing for society. That when <laughs> casinos come into neighborhoods or gambling becomes prevalent in a local economy, it takes money out of the economy and puts it usually into owners that live out of state. And some of this legalized gambling is going back into the New York state tax base. So it's a little bit mitigated, but people are spending their entertainment dollars on sports betting and not spending them on local businesses and things like that. It's not good for the economy. It's not something that should be embraced and celebrated the way it is. I I don't think it should be illegal. I don't think it should be totally shunned, but I, I would like to see the volume turned out and how, great legalized gambling in new york is for for all involved yeah i mean look the the, like casinos they're making all this money because the people lose that casinos don't go out of business because most people lose and a lot of people get addicted and i don't want to moralize here but i it's it would be like saying geez i didn't know a million people died of opioid uh overdoses in the last 10 years in america that's terrible well yeah Maybe 10 years from now, we're going to find out maybe the consequences of all this gambling because it's going to affect people. It's going to addict a significant slice of society, many of them young males. Uh, It appeals as an addiction to a loser mentality. I've known a lot of problem gamblers. It runs in the same circles as other vices like drugs and alcohol, and we're going to pay for this. And you know who's going to pay more than anybody, and it always has with the gambling issue, although you'll see a lot of them at, at the slot machines, and that's women. The young girlfriends and spouses of young men, there's a lot of them out there that are going to really be the victims of, the, of this gambling, and I'll, I'll stop with that because it's not a benign activity. Men have all gambled since there was you know, chariot races, but to push it on society, to me, I've said for a long time, gambling in a you know, this goes to casinos and the, just the explosion of gambling in America, how it is the dark side of the American dream. It's a lot of people just don't believe in the real essence of the American dream, which is to work hard and make your money and get ahead. And they don't believe that anymore. That's why we got Donald Trump, obviously. But I think gambling is another manifestation of people thinking, I, I don't know what else to do. I, maybe I can do this. And then they get addicted. And the doctors would tell you it plays in the same receptors in your brain as drugs. And I just am outraged by it. I I really think it's very sad. I used to be an an addicted gambler for a couple of years when I was young. I was in that 20s, late 20s demographic where I thought, you know, it was a way to show how smart I was. I got over my head and then I got out of it. And I think another thing is that it's just like the sports themselves to a large degree. And I play a lot of fantasy sports too. The games aren't enough anymore. That's why I love going to see a UB women's basketball game and just sitting there saying, I like, I like watching sports. I, Oh yeah, I do. 
And there's also, you, you mentioned the, the, the kids from a journalism standpoint who want to get into covering it. I think that including, for instance, the World Series of Poker and how big that became and all the different analysts that you see who uh, maybe you don't, you don't consider it journalism. You see it, you watch television and you see this guy is a professional gambler. You can make a living at this. It's not just about striking it rich or, hey, maybe I get lucky on this one parlay. There's also a belief, and maybe to a lesser degree, uh, that I can make a living at this. Uh, it's not a lottery. But in, in regard to the lottery aspect, all you need to do is take note of where you are when you see uh, New York State lottery advertising. And I'm not talking about on television because on television is, you know, it's for everybody and, you know, there, it's, it's a little bit harder to, um, to segment exactly who your target audience is. There are ways to do that, but generally not. It's, it's on during the news and, and what it's on for everybody. But when you see a lottery billboard or you see signage in a storefront for the lottery, take a note into what type of neighborhoods you're generally in when that happens. You're in poor neighborhoods when you see the lottery billboard. And that's because those are the people who feel they have nothing else to do or no way else to get out of the situation they're in than to put their money on a scratch off or the numbers and, and hope that uh, that's, that gets them out. And, uh, and so the state will even play into that. They, you you don't see lottery advertisements in Williamsville on billboards there. No, you see things like maybe for attorneys and for your health insurance and, you know, you know, different other things, uh, your accountants, uh, but then go, through, you know, drive down Broadway towards the city and see what kind of advertising you get, you know, liquor and yeah, yeah. lottery and, you know, I, I don't know what else. The things um, that you can call vice. Right. Exactly right. Um, At least the lottery goes back into, in some ways, the state budget and not private companies. And I don't feel like the, the lottery is marketed in some ways, but I don't know if the lottery is being marketed these days the same way that sports sports gambling is being marketed in a way like we are so blessed that sports gambling is now legal to do on our phones. And these are the halcyon days of being a sports fan because you can make same game parlays. All these commercials act like same game parlays are just the greatest thing that's ever come to our society when really they're a sucker bet money suck. Right. We're lucky that it's we're lucky because it used to be illegal. I used to have to go to a bar and, and see a bookie and every couple of weeks we'd, you know, I'd usually give him money and it was it was hard. <laughs> I can't even imagine when I was young in college, if you could just go on your computer or your phone and gamble on sports. And of course, now what's that like? What do you think's happening to young people on college campuses nowadays? Uh, and then uh, we're gonna see a scandal too. I mean, come on. Some of the college athletes, if you can bet a lot of money on a UB or Niagara basketball game, oh, my God. How, how susceptible are athletes and even officials to, you know, to being on the take? It's, we're going to see another one of those Boston College, Memphis State type scandals before long. You know, Jerry, when I was in second grade, I got in a little trouble with my second grade teacher because I wrote a journal entry about when Jim Kelly runs in that touchdown in Miami from the two yard line in that season opener, 1989, I noted in my journal that the bills won the game, but they didn't cover the point spread. And the teacher made a little remark in the journal about not including that in future journal entries. 
<laughs> seven years old, you're talking writing about points. Yeah, right? well, I had done a, like a picks pool, so I knew that <laughs> I didn't win that game, uh, even though the Bills won. So, a, a couple uh, points before we, and we don't have to wrap this up, but if we want to move on, uh, we can. But you know, Jonah, you mentioned before about how it takes money out of the till of local businesses, and I could see that if you have a limited budget. Let's say you got $40 uh, for your leisurely income for the next, for the week or whatever. And, and you used to maybe go down to the bar and hang out with your buddies or whatever. You, you go take your family to the movies. You're probably, you can, you don't have to go to the bar to, to have your interest in the game. And sometimes, you know, I, I do this myself. I do it when I reach out to you, Jonah, and I say, hey, you want to go grab a couple of beers tonight? There's a game on. And it's generally, we're going to go watch the game, have a couple of beers, and the two things feed off each other. Well, now you can sit at home and have your action on the game and you don't have to go spend your money at, you know, so that's a, you know, the establishment doesn't get its money for the wings and the, in the three drafts and whatever else. Um, it could be having some, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on here, but it could be having some effect on the smaller crowds at the Sabres games and attendance overall, it, you know, you might be more inclined to stay home and track your bets than actually go to the game and, and experience the entertainment live unless I guess you could bet on the game you're at, but it's probably better to stay home and watch stare at your phone and watch the TV than be at a game and distraction from your bet. So you can flip back and forth between multiple games, the games that you have action. Now you're at the Sabres game. You're locked into only the Sabres game. You can't isn't really the follow NFL, the, the other games. Isn't the NFL going to make in-game betting at the venue part of the whole experience now? Well, that's believed to be an eventuality, but right now the NFL doesn't want that. And so, you know, that's something that I've been, that I learned during my coverage of the new Bills stadium and in talking to people about different things that are going to be in this state, in this stadium that fans might not be used to, you know, whatever upgrades, you know, new things. And I assumed at one point during my, my reporting uh, in, in talking to somebody about it, that there would be, uh, kiosks and things, which I, I think is an eventuality. You, you see it at the, the Washington Capitals. Uh, they have a uh, they have a sports book right off of their own arena. I think they're I believe they're attached. You walk right from the the wind the betting window into the arena without having to you know step outside. Um, but the NFL doesn't want that yet for some reason. But I, I think it's 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 coming. Uh, and then the other point I wanted to make regarding the mentality, you called it a loser's mentality, Jerry. And I think that's right. There, there's a competition aspect to it. Uh, people who even have the urge to gamble, I think, have an have an inner competitive thing. You know, they they want to win. That's a big part of the endorphin rush. Um, I read an uh, actually it was a scholarly article about this, and, and I'll try to post it uh, after I get off, get off uh, the line here. And I'll have to remember exactly where I saw it. But it was about the game show deal or no deal. And it was using that game show as a, as an example. And what you do is for those not familiar with the show, there are however many cases and within each case is a dollar amount. You pick the number, you don't know what it is. And then that is your case. And then you pick off the rest of the cases. Hopefully you hit, pull off all the low numbers, leaving big numbers on the board. The banker every periodically offers you a value to get out of the game. We're going to give you $50,000 right now to get out of the game, or you can open up three more cases. You open up those three cases. Maybe your number goes up. Maybe it goes down. You don't know. People will, and the show kind of 
is, is, is predicated on this without saying so. People don't want to stop. <laughs> they don't want to stop playing the game. And it's not so much as like the figure could be exactly or more than they even want it. But there's a chance that it might be more. But they're also on television. There's that aspect of it. They're having their day in the sun. Howie Mandel is talking to them, a, you know, a famous comedian, all the lights and they're being catered to and their family is there and people are cheering. They have a crowd cheering for them. It's set up for you to be the star. And if you stop playing the game, then your experience is over. So what happens is you're going to play it until you generally, usually you end up with a pretty shitty deal at the end. And I think that gambling is very similar in that way. You don't cash out when you're up. You cash, you cash out when you're done, when you have nothing left. So you could be a really, let's say you're a, an efficient gambler. If you don't know when to stop, you're never going to profit because you're eventually going to hit that losing streak and need to borrow some money or you're broke or you, you got too deep or whatever, unless you're very disciplined. I just cashed out mine. Um, I, I cashed out uh, earlier this week because I just lost interest in it. But I, uh, it, it was like, but I, I think generally people just will keep going until that account hits zero. Be like, well, I already put the money in. I'm going to, I'm going to play until it's at zero. Um, no, you, you don't want to stop when you're winning and you don't want to stop where you're losing. So I think that's pretty good for the gambling industry. Yeah. That's where, even though the, uh, and obviously there's a, there's a, a percentage, the vigorish, the vig, the juice that's all set up to guarantee that the house makes money. But other than that, you can on a very, in a very basic sense, say that a lot of bets are flipping a coin. When you're talking about point spreads, over-unders, if you bet on those, you're eventually going to lose money because of the juice, but you will, you should, a blind monkey will be able to pick 50%, right? you at least that's the hope. You, you make enough bets that they're all going to even out eventually. But when you lose, <laughs> but like you said, Jerry, when you're winning, you keep playing. And when you're losing, you want to keep playing. You know, another thing I always call it the, the hidden vigorish. When you win, you're a great popular guy. You're buying drinks for everybody. You lose yeah. alone. That monkey, those monkeys lose alone. So that's, that's it's, there's so many things contained here. Because the loser who needs to gamble to feel good about himself because his job isn't so good and he's not making it with the women, boy, when he's, he really wants to let the world know when, when he's winning. But when, they're, when you're losing, well, in fact, though, someone will come over when you're losing and help you, and that's called the house. I heard a, a, there was a big, uh, on NPI, I heard it on the radio driving the other day about casinos that will literally find problem gamblers and lure them back in by paying them to get them back in, and even though they know that they're problem gamblers and having serious issues, uh, mental issues, they will try to get them back in because they rely on those people. But I, there's a brain chemistry dopamine element that I think can really affect anybody. I think we look at it like problem gamblers, degenerative gamblers are only this small subset of society and we look down on them. But anybody can fall into that trap because it's like playing a, game, a video game. That's how slot machines work, just that neural wiring that happens when you continue to place bets and you win. And even when you lose that, that has an effect on you. And then you win again. And it just makes people want to keep gambling and keep gambling with higher and higher stakes, because that's how you can continue to get that response in your brain. And that's why, like, I don't think gambling in a vacuum is necessarily a bad thing. If you go to the casino a few times a year, just to have fun, 
But when you can literally bet on every single game, every single night of the week, all of the time, you can bet multiple times within the same game. That's only continuing to reprogram your brain to only look at sports as a way to get that dopamine hit that you get from gambling. And it's one of the reasons I don't really like to gamble on sports and really don't because I like to have my brain wired in the way that we do as sports writers, looking for the storylines and the narratives and the emotional appeal and ways to use sports to tell stories. And I feel like if you get too wrapped up in the wins and the losses and the point spread and things like that, you don't notice some of those things that, that help us do our jobs. Yeah. I understand the action. I mean, I'm, again, when I did it for two years, it was, I was high when I had, a, that's what action is. Seven o'clock on, I had a game. I, I felt the rush. And I don't know if I'm unlike a lot of people or most people are prone to fall into that if they keep doing it. But for two years, I gambled every single day. Now I play fantasy sports every day. You could say, well, it's the same thing. Well, it, it, it's similar in that you love being involved. You love having some kind of – it's love of games, though. What I love is games. I don't love gambling. That's, that's where the, the difference is. And back to what I said earlier, is like I think to some extent, maybe to a large extent, the culture is losing its love of the game, the event, the sport. And it's everyone has, and this is a larger picture and everyone, you know, on their phone, everyone being a star, everyone's on TikTok, everyone, it's not enough to be a, a dispassionate observer anymore. You have to be in the action. Then when being in the action costs you money and gives you that rush, I think it's very dangerous. It's a, there are probably, and I might've known a couple of people who continue to take cocaine into their older years and were able to, to handle it, but most people couldn't. One more, uh, for instance, uh, and again, I keep threatening to move on, but I, this is a conversation that Jonah and I generally don't get to have on here, and I enjoy it, and we're all passionate, and I think we're all uh, fairly literate on this topic. Of course, me having been a former Las Vegas resident, I had to learn at a very early stage in my career um, what odds meant and what point spreads meant, and it was in every UNLV football story I wrote because – People can legally gamble on these things. And I had to, you had to factor gambling in everything you wrote, unless it was high school sports, uh, which is, I started out covering uh, that in, uh, in Las Vegas, but didn't stay on it for long. And I, you know, as I moved up boxing, you know, of course, boxing happens in Las Vegas because of gambling. Um, but anyways, uh, you may not remember the story, uh, but when I was at the Buffalo News and for that one year that I was out of sports as the spotlight writer at the Buffalo News, I did a story on a woman named Sherry Holcomb uh, from Cortland. And you might not remember the name, but you may remember the story. She was the woman who gambled away her son's leukemia, uh, the, <laughs> the money that was uh, raised for her son uh, for her, his leukemia treatments. And they were from Cortland and they came into Roswell, uh, Roswell Park. And she had a, a husband and a daughter back in Cortland. And because she couldn't make the drive back and forth every day, it would be grueling uh, to be with her son. Her husband and, and daughter stayed back. Um, her son had you know, this mystery illness, which eventually was leukemia. And he almost died. And he's in a hospital bed in Roswell. And she's staying at the, I don't know if it was the Kevin Guest house, but it was one of those places that's set up for family members who are, you know, with a family member, you know, and so they don't, they can be there. And so she was desperate. She was lonely and she ended up going to the downtown Buffalo casino and 
playing the different games there. And she needed a friend, you know, she needed energy in her life. She needed all, you know, all the different things that would be missing in your life. Just think of all the things if you're nor, you know, living a life without somebody that might be dying. And so she was arrested for gambling away her son's cancer treatment money. And the, you know, the DA at the time, I, I can't remember, I think Sedita, I guess it was, made a big deal about this woman being arrested because they like to go after. And you see them all the time. You say, you don't think, don't believe that the Buffalo News has somebody who's digging up these stories about the woman who used her uh, money from the, uh, the, uh, the church where she works uh, as a volunteer and she was taking money from the till or the, the woman who works at the law firm. You know, it's, it's almost, almost always women. And what they do, they're the bookkeeper or they're the, 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 um, the administrative assistant and they take this money to fund a gambling addiction. And then the DA, I don't want to say plants, but they put those stories in the newspaper to deter. It's like to say, hey, look, don't do this. So it's a, almost like a community, the way the DA's office views it, or at least used to, I don't, I don't know, I don't deal with them anymore, but the way it was at the time, we're going to let you know, white collar crime, you know, there's like, a, and that's a male thing more, uh, you know, so it, it's not, just, but anyways, the gambling aspect of it was, was usually a woman who had access to money uh, and was doing it maybe for the benefit of her family, or maybe she was acting solo and it was for gambling. So anyway, Sherry Holcomb did this. I was able to convince her uh, to speak with me. She had been, she had turned down the Today Show and CNN and Larry King and all these shows, uh, Dateline. Um, but the reason I appealed to her attorney and to her was I came to it as you are somebody's neighbor, you're somebody's mother, you are somebody's aunt. You are not a bad person who did this, despite all the vile treatment you're getting online from people who think you should be injected with cancer. And that was all part of my story, all oh. the vile shit that she was getting. You should be killed. Your son should be able to put you in the electric chair and flip the switch. Uh, you know, all these, these things that were supposed to happen to her because the way it sounded. Um, and these things happen. And the other part of it was nobody had bothered to interview her son. Nobody, the son who was an adult, by the way, I think he was 23, 24. The DA didn't talk to her son. And he is like, I, I, know, I know why my mom did it. She was alone. She was desperate. She was scared shitless. And she needed something to do while I was in that bed dying. Um, and that's how, to Jonah's point, what made me think of it was anybody can get into the gambling. You wouldn't th this woman, by the way, was, a, I think, either a registered nurse or a social worker who worked with developmentally disabled people, people with uh, Down syndrome, people who had strokes, people who had brain injuries. This was a good person. Um, and she got suspended from her job because of this. And she just got caught up in it. It can happen. And of course, that wasn't sports gambling. She wasn't betting on the Knicks. She was, she was mostly pulling slot machine reels, but it's the same thing. Yeah, you can get in trouble pretty quick without being addicted, right? I mean, in that way, I guess it's different from drugs and alcohol. I mean, if you gamble, it, it can be escapism. It, it was yeah. escapism in her case. Not, it wasn't, she wasn't addicted to gambling. She was addicted to not being scared shitless. And this yeah, thing, which casinos are set up to put you in your own little world with the light music and there's no windows. So you can't see whether the sun is up or the sun is down and there are no clocks anywhere. And the, the uh, air purifiers that they use to keep you feeling no fresh, clock. 
and uh, the way that they allow you to smoke because smoking is an addictive behavior and they want you to be able to pair your addictive behaviors uh, and the way that they give you free drinks. Free drinks. Um, you, you can tip if you want, um, but uh, you don't have to. Uh, so you get free drinks while you're gambling. You get to smoke in this place where you normally can't walk into a place and smoke while you're doing your activity. Uh, we are here to cater to you. You don't even have to get your ass out of this seat that you're at at this slot machine for the next eight hours if you don't want to. And if you do, you, we'll put a hold on it while you need to go take a whiz and you come back and you still have your seat. Um, we are going to give you free breakfast if you stay long enough. Or we're going to give you free dinner. We're going to send you over here. Why don't you go have breakfast on us? Uh, and then you can come back to the table or you know whatever. Um, these places are set up to get you out of your existence. And so if you're having a situation where uh, you're in, in dire straits and you walk into a casino, you might as well be walking through the pearly gates um, because you have, you are, you are going to be taken care of and pampered as long as you have money in your wallet. And how many of those people are alone? You talk about, you know, the forlorn person, go to those places sometime and you'll, oh my God. It's not like the ads. I was laughing just yesterday with Melinda watching the TV. I go, well, that's not what you see. Three or four, six really good looking young people dressed well, big smiles, you know, laughing and having a great time. I don't see, see, and I don't go there often, but you don't see that there. You see what you're talking about. You, a, a solitary person, often an older woman, really dressed poorly, like in a zombie-like state, smoking okay. a cigarette. I went to a casino, Niagara Falls Casino, with a friend of mine once who had moved to Las Vegas and came back. And she was like, we got to go to the casino. Five minutes in, she told me to get luck. She said I was bad luck. And I had to like <laughs> wander around the casino on my own because she thought she needed to be alone to gamble. Well, this has been invigorating. Um, yeah, it is depressing. And yeah, I got on a rant there. But I do have a lot of light, you know, life experience as somebody who's lived there. I know how casinos work. I've been in hundreds of them. Not just the three here in Western New York or the occasional time in Vegas. I mean, I, these events that you, and you don't have to do it necessarily in Las Vegas anymore because they have major league sports. But when I was covering sports there, every event was tied to a casino. The PGA golf event that they had there, any boxing match, of course, um, the Las Vegas bowl, you know, the football game annually, it's all sponsored and you would have to go to a casino to the press conference. You could not avoid casinos as a journalist in that town. You had to go to them to work. And um, I remember one time interviewing Carrie Strug. Right? It was maybe the one-year anniversary of the, the 96 Olympic and her yeah. vault on her bad ankle. And I did that at the Las Vegas Hilton because she was in for an appearance of some kind um, and interviewed her there. And uh, it, so even, and she was a college student. I mean, what did she have to do with casinos? But whatever it was, was tied in. And um, so anyways, I, it, it's in my fibers. Uh, so I can just spew out factoids and, and, and ex explanations about how this shit works. But um, it, it really is a, you know, I, it's a mind fuck. We should and, make and, more, and, and on purpose, on purpose. Just in a year or in six months, you know, since, you know, what's happening now with uh, the ads is so fresh and, overwhelming maybe in a year see if we have any new in intel you know if we've heard of people that are addicted or what, what's going to be like a year from now i don't know maybe maybe well we're hearing the one month the, the one month results and i don't have them in front of me but they were staggering in regard staggering. to the handle 
and the amount of uh, state tax. And it, uh, you know, it, it was, it made New Jersey's opening week look like probably North Dakota's opening week. It was, you know, New Jersey's got a few people there, you know, it is, it is the New York city suburbs uh, in, in uh, for a good portion of it. Uh, but it, it, New York uh, just totally dominated uh, what New Jersey did a year or two ago when it opened. And it's, uh, it's why that it's why when you look at the deal that New York state cut, which was a very state favorable deal relative other states, why these gambling companies would go for it because the sheer volume of the money uh, makes it worth it for them. Think of all this advertising, how much that costs the Super Bowl ads. I'm just blown away by it, but just whatever the number is, take a, take a certain percent of it. And that's losses. That's people getting hurt. Right. And then I just hope they can all afford it. But as you said earlier, I think a lot of it's coming out of the pockets of the same people. The lottery money does poor people. Yep. And it's a poor tax. All right. Can we move on, Jerry? I know it's been a little while. Uh, an hour, have a, are we at an hour? Yeah. I mean, we. I, oh, shit. We are at an hour. Maybe another five doing? minutes. I'm, I don't have any. What do you got to go do, Jerry? I'm uh, in the afternoon here. I'm writing a story about the, the guy who got drafted fourth in that new league, the USFL. I, I'd never heard of. He was, Can you give us a preview of your of your college? Park. He played at Orchard Park. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Quarterback. Ben Holmes. He was actually not even a quarterback. He was a senior. Goes a year prep school, two years Nassau, you know, Nassau Community College football. And then his mother is dying and he goes home and uh, drops out of Stony Brook, which was low D1 and doesn't play. And he's sitting there two years later. This Tarleton State, Texas calls him out of the blue, finds out he can throw and he has two great years there. And he's been sitting around for two years and he gets drafted. I mean, it's the USFL. I mean, who knows how far that's going to go? We don't know if these leagues have even survived, but it's an interesting story. I didn't know anything about this guy. Did well, you? Tell me. I know, I, know, I know his story. I knew that he – because he played in some other pro leagues. I don't know if it was arena football. I think he went over and played in Europe. His he story played a little bit, a couple of games bit, last but. year in the spring. But that's the type of story I work on, you know, stuff that few people will read. How close well, I, has he come to the NFL, Jerry? Not at all. I mean, he he, has, he didn't play. Not D1. even a tryout or a camp or anything. He, I don't know. He said he's never been in any camps. I mean, he was at a. I ran into John Fuller last night. He went to a UB camp of some sort. Uh, but no, the guy has been nowhere, and he's joked about it that everyone's calling him a new Kurt Warner story. He knows Kurt Warner has worked out with him, been to his house, but that's kind of a <laughs> an exceptional story. And he's no he's six foot tall, so it's it's interesting. I'll give you Kurt Warner's number, Jerry. Maybe you can call him up and get his yeah, thoughts. Send, send him along so I can over research this some more. Well. You have everyone's phone number. It's great. I should call you more often. I, I pride myself on my phone number collection. Um, and if I can't, if I don't have the number, I, I'm pretty confident I can find them. It's all, it's a defeat when I can't, you know, who I was trying to get for a story um, is Rajai Davis. And I don't want to explain my story too much because I don't want to tip it off, but I've been trying to get Rajai Davis. He's on, he, he allows DMS into his Twitter, but he hasn't responded to me. I can't, uh-huh. I can't track him down. The big home run in the World Series. Yeah, that might have something to do with it. That might have something to do with it. That might. <laughs> the, hero, the hero who wasn't, right? And, 
It might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, no, go I ahead, Jerry. I ask Jerry about the column he wrote last week about our friend Nate Butel and the Thunderwolves. And what oh, I had a great time with that. It had so many of the elements of what I love to do now, you know, stories no one – well, actually, you've written about them, and uh, Jason Wolf did a story on them. But a, a local guy who used to be a sports writer – at the Gazette, right? And uh, yep. his team wins about 90% of their games. So they'd won every game by 20 plus points. I show up, the solid jinx. They're down 22-10 against whoever they're playing, Jamestown. And I'm like, Carlton State. So they all they end up winning, but yeah. And of course, my, you know, I have a few assets as a journalist, but one was always call, call the woman. You know, I called all the wives of the Bills over the years. So I called his, and his wife was great talking about Nate taking her on dates where they would drive to Albany to scout high school girls basketball. That was, that was the romance. <laughs> and she was, she was fine with it. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that story. I really enjoyed it. Many time no, we can I mention really Nate and, and triple C and triple C, a former sponsor of uh, the Tim Graham show back when it was on terrestrial. Well, what Radio. happened to them? They got too big for you. They sponsored our hotline and we don't have a phone anymore. Oh, well. <laughs> that plays a part. Yeah, that Actually, and triple. You know what happened? The sponsorship money they gave us came from the women's soccer budget because they canceled the women's soccer team one season, and now they have women's soccer back. They just made a new coaching hire there, and so I guess we don't get that sponsorship money because the girls need to play soccer, which is you know a good thing. For All right, fellas, this has been fun. You know, before we start talking about you know the Sabers and how happy days are here again, and or talking about the NFL draft, I got I got to get out of here. I did make a mistake in my uh, story from last week where I, where I put a little bit too much of a happy spin on it. Things have not gone well since. Um, happy spin on what? I, I, I wrote a oh, story. I it was a favorite story. I got to go back. I, I had to write a, well, I didn't have, I guess I did have to. John Vogel was on jury duty and he was on call all last week. And so I covered the Thursday game and it was the first game I'd covered since I was a beat writer in 2007 oh. The final game being game five of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, the final game from Chris Drury and Daniel Briere. Uh, that was my last game. And so Thursday, they were playing the Senators again, and I decided to compare and contrast as my first time walking through the lonely concourses uh, as the game. And then I went around and I asked people, why are you here? And... Um, it was all right, but I, it turned out, you know, they were coming off a really good game on Tuesday against the Islanders and uh, the fans there were generally upbeat. And I guess you have to be to want to go to a game on a Thursday night. The weather was miserable, two of the worst teams in the NHL and the fans were upbeat and they kind of made me feel a little upbeat. And so I kind of put a little bit of that frosting on there and they haven't done shit since. I'll have to go back and read that. Well, last night was one of the worst performances I've seen on it by a hockey team since, well, since the Sabres, but it was, it was pretty bad. All right, Jerry, thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for uh, wearing your Pistons hat. Mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, bringing Sponsored. some passion Sponsored. to the podcast. <laughs> Aren't you going to throw me some free gambling money or something? No. Oh, you want me to give you a, uh, yeah, give you a, no, a, I wouldn't take it. And by the way, and I know promo, I'm... use promo code uh, flaccid. Did the Bills, there was something on an email at the station. Did the Bills actually encourage season ticket holders to take gambling 
I, I thought I saw a guy who said the, the Bills offered to give him a discount on his tickets if he would, you know, start gambling on one of these sites. You didn't see that? I did not. I it was some I, sort of promotion. It was a one, promotion. One thing, buy one, get one kind of deal. Yeah, but they were using gambling to to learn ticket, season ticket. You holders. think or you know? I think. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just okay. throwing it out there. All right. Look I'll look up. into it. Yeah, I'll look in uh, your Sabre story. Look into that. It's, it's, the last it's, press release I got from the Bills that, is that Metallica is coming in August. All right, man. Jerry, thank you. You going to run me or not? Let's go. Yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, Jerry Sullivan, everybody, from WIVB.com and the Niagara Gazette. Know, my Jim friends. Graham and Friends, no. brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and business consultants. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, let me remind everybody that you should uh, go check out Amherst Pizza and Ale House for all the college and pro games, especially now with that legalized sports betting in New York. You know you want to go to a place that's got a bunch of TVs so you can monitor all the different action. And Amherst Pizza and Ale House allows you to do that. Not only football, hockey, whatever you need, but the pay-per-views, the boxing and the uh, mixed martial arts events, they have those. 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Millersport Highway in the 990. Uh, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Uh, stop in or call for takeout and delivery. Obviously, uh, fantastic wings, fingers, the pizza, of course. It's right there in the title. 716-625-7100. Again, Amherst Pizza and Ale House number 716 716- 625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.